Well, yesterday, the 25th of January, is, of course, when many people celebrate the life and poetry of Robert Burns uh, at Burns Suppers. Um, a lesser-known fact uh, may be that in some Christian denominations, not so much our own, but uh, uh, in other denominations, the 25th of January is known as the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. And it's when some Christians remember, in particular, God's amazing grace in converting a man like Paul, who was so violently persecuting the church, but who became a great evangelist and apostle and whose letters make up a good proportion of our New Testament in the Bible. Now, the story of Paul the Apostle might be entitled From Angry Man to Contented Man, because Paul, originally called Saul, was a very angry man, angry with those that he thought were teaching false ways of knowing God. But after he met with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul became Paul, and the anger was replaced as he grew in his faith in Christ with contentment in Christ. And so the former angry man Paul was able to declare later in his life, written in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I'm sure we all recognize the potential for anger to become a destructive force. In the Apostle Paul's life, before his conversion, it led to acts of violence and persecution against the Christians. When anger is left to fester and grow, it can lead to resentment, to bitterness, to hatred and intolerance of others. Last week at the World Holocaust Remembrance Center, Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, there was an event to mark the 75th year since the liberation of the Nazi death camp at Auschwitz. And Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, who was one of the many dignitaries at the event, said that hatred and intolerance still lurk in the human heart. And while we remember the the horrors of the Holocaust, Prince Charles' words are a sobering reminder of the continuing need to be vigilant of our own hearts. We live in an age where intolerance and anger seem to surface readily in our public life. And we hear daily of people being threatened and bullied because someone disagrees with them over their views. Sometimes the threats are through social media. Sometimes they become more direct. But anger doesn't just arise in our hearts because of the big issues of the day and the people and the views we disagree with politically. Anger can arise in us over all manner of things, especially when we sense that we or someone that we love or care for is being treated in an unjust manner, or if we feel our own rights or our 
freedoms or our desires are under threat. So what's God got to say to us about how we handle anger, which is such an important question for us in our relationships with one another and with, with the people that we might not always agree Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so there's a recognition there of our need to have open relationships with each other. There is a recognition that uh, we can be angry and not sin, but we can also be angry and that it can move into sin. But what it says here is that we have a choice. Not all anger is bad. For example, anger at some injustice can be a good motivating factor to take some action and to deal with the injustice. But what it's saying is that there's a threshold beyond which our anger can enter the realm of being sinful. And we're instructed not to let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I'm sure um, those of of us who who are married, who may have had marriage uh, preparation, have been told never uh, go, to, go to bed not having tried at least to, to work things out uh, before going to sleep. We're told not to let anger uh, continue on, to linger, to go underground into our hearts. Because that's the point at which we start, as it says, to give the devil a foothold. And that's really not a good thing. For if we think about what that means, it means we open a a door in our hearts, in our minds, for the devil to start whispering lies and stoking up the fires of our anger by making us think the worst of the situation. I wonder if you've ever noticed how easy it is to start justifying ourselves and criticizing the other person or other party that we're angry with once we've started to dwell on it rather than seeking God's way of forgiveness and healing. Jesus, in part of his Sermon on the Mount, which we uh, read part of in uh, Matthew chapter 5, there Jesus challenges us to be aware of what's going on inside, uh, inside our hearts and our minds. And in his sermon, he, he challenges us not just to be satisfied that we're Um, We're not going around hitting people, for example. We're not um, doing things that are obviously uh, out of line. But he's saying that if our attitudes are not um, good towards others, then that is a serious matter. That's something that we need to address. And behind every murderous action, the implication is, of course, that there is an attitude of anger of unforgiveness, a build-up of um, resentment. And so if we're not getting rid of the anger we're holding on to about another person, we're really going to be harming ourselves, allowing things to go deeper into us, things that are really toxic to our well-being. 
because we're jeopardizing not only our relationship with other people, but with God himself. Jesus says, I, I, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is just a, a term of abuse in, in uh, the Middle East in those times, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So that leads to our main Bible passage today the, and the question that God asks Cain, why are you angry? I'd like to say that the, the questions that we're, we're looking at these Sundays, uh, questions from the Bible that God asks to um, his people, including our last week's question, where have you come from, where are you going? Um, these are questions that I've been um, looking at myself um, in a book called Discovery Questions, um, written by the Reverend Stephen Anderson. Now, uh, Stephen, you might remember Stephen Anderson took a service here um, uh, two summers ago uh, when I was on holiday, and uh, I'd like to just quote a little bit from his introduction um, on the, the whole subject of thinking about questions, uh, how the importance of questions. He quotes, first of all, um, the writer uh, Henry Nguyen, finding the right questions is as crucial as finding the right answers, Henry Nguyen says. And then um, Stephen Anderson goes on to say in his book, why does the all-knowing God ask questions? It's clearly not so that he can gain information or wisdom from us. His questions to us are for our benefit, to make us think, to ponder, to pray, to search and discover something more about ourselves, about life and about God himself and how he wants us to interact with us and what he wants to form in our lives. And he goes on to say, we often want to ask questions and rightly so at times. We look for answers to the mysteries of life, to the hardships and difficulties it throws in our direction. But what, God, what is God asking us? Maybe as we let his questions address us, we will discover the most important answers. And so today we come to this question that God first asks Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, why are you angry? In the story, um, we learn that Cain and his young, younger brother Abel have different kinds of occupation. Cain works as the land as a farmer of crops, while Abel looks after flocks of sheep. And each brings an offering to God from the fruit of their labors. Abel gives of his best, while you could say Cain gives from the rest. Abel took, as it says, the firstborn of his flock as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. It doesn't say anything special about what Cain gave, just he gave some of his produce. Uh, it might even been the, uh, it sounds like it wasn't the best. It was just uh, a reflection of how he um, just thought, well, I'll just give anything to God. It doesn't have to be the best. And so God looks on favor with Abel and his offering, but not with favor on Cain and his offering. And the result is that Cain gets very angry and he goes into a bad mood. His face, as it says, is downcast. 
and he's feeling sorry for himself too. And so God comes to him and says to him, um, why are you angry? God challenges Cain to examine the reasons he didn't receive favor and do something about it. He challenges him not to dwell on where he is in his place of anger and disappointment, but to find God's solution and God's way forward, God's favor, which is open to him. He's not saying to Cain, well, that's it, you're, you're finished. He's saying, well, why did you get into this? There is a way out. He says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And then God goes on to warn Cain of the dangers of not dealing in the right way with his anger. He says, but if you do not, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule, but you must rule over it. And those are very similar to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, do not let the sun go down while you're so angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Because if Cain dwells on his anger and lets it fester, he will open the door to sin. And rather than ruling over it by going God's way, he will come under the rule of sin in his life. Jesus says that he who sins becomes a slave to sin. And unfortunately, that's what happens. Cain decides to ignore God's invitation to turn around, to let go of his anger and to receive instead God's favor. Instead, he goes down the tragic route of letting his anger lead to resentment of his brother and ultimately murder as he kills Abel in the open field. And yet, even, even after this, there is, there is the essence of God's grace for him. Even though Cain brings judgment on himself and becomes a wanderer and he leaves God's presence, even then God graciously grants Cain protection from those who would harm him. But the end result is still sad and, and tragic. But what can we learn from the story? Well, Cain gets angry because things don't go his way. In actual fact, that's really down to his attitude to God. But God met with him and offered him a way out, a way to receive his favor. Cain, however, chose to nurse his anger and that turned towards his brother Abel. Because not only was he angry that God had rejected his offering, worse than that, his little brother seemed to have outdone him. Abel's offering had been accepted by God and God had shown him favor. Sometimes what we find difficult isn't just that things don't appear to be going our way. What we sometimes find difficult is that it appears that other people are doing better than us. Maybe it's a case of keeping up with the Joneses, but the modern version is checking out your Facebook page. It can sometimes appear that other people are having the most amazing time or going through the most amazing holidays or whatever. We can start to compare ourselves to other people's lives. We can find the apparent successes of others can lead to resentments or 
anger that God is not doing the same for us? Why are we going through what we're going through when other people seem to have it easy? Although I'm sure we know that no one really has it easy. Everyone has their own difficulties. And so we can, we can get into that place of anger and resentment by making unhealthy comparisons. But it can also come from our fears or our anxieties about situations we find ourselves. And there are many other sources or causes of anger and frustration. But whatever the cause or the source of our anger or frustration, the way out is by re responding to God's invitation, just as he came to Cain and gave him a way forward, gave him a way to turn from this. So God offers us a way of letting go of our, our hearts, our anger, to receive instead his acceptance, his favor, and his grace to, to meet our every need. He offers us a way of discovering that we are highly valued. If we've gone down that route of comparing ourselves and feeling really low, God is saying, no, you're not like that. I see yourself how I see you. You're highly valued, you're loved, you're cared for. And he invites us to trust that he will act on our behalf and help us to discover the fullness of life in his son. And the way to respond to this offer of God is to choose that forgiveness, that way of forgiveness, to let go of the anger. Because in the moment that we, we do, God meets us and gives us his grace for the rest. It's a bit like in the story of Peter uh, in the storm getting out of the boat to walk on the water. He had to take that step. He had to choose to take that step. But once he had done it, he was walking on the water. God uh, met with him through Jesus walking on the water and holding him up. And so God invites us to find this way forward with him. Because God's favor comes to us as a free gift. Because of Jesus, his son, we have been given the most perfect offering on our behalf once for all time. And so we don't need to work it out for ourselves. We don't need to uh, be concerned what other people are doing or compare ourselves with them. We don't need to be fearful or anxious or hold onto our anger. When Jesus died for our sins on the cross, he opened the way of everlasting life for us. And all we need to do is say yes to God and choose to forgive as he has forgiven us through Jesus. And as we take that step, he gives us the gift of his spirit to fill us and to help us to live the way that we're meant to live. Because when we let go of our rights, if you like, when we choose to uh, go Jesus' way of the cross and lay down our life, when we present our whole lives to God to live for him, we find that he gives us strength in our weakness to overcome. And he fills us with his love so that we can love one another. So what's God's question for us today? Is there someone we need to forgive? 
Is there something we need to let go of? Do we need to discover more of the depth of God's love for us and let go of the comparisons? Let's respond to God's gracious offer of life and forgiveness that we might grow in all the fruits of his spirit, the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For in the life of Christ, who is love, who is joy, who is peace, we have the hope for the whole world. Amen. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that you're gracious to us, that you meet us in our point of need, that you come to us, even in the times when we are struggling with things, even in the times where we are finding it difficult to understand, even in the times where we might feel angry or um, not sure of what to do. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us in, in Jesus, who went through all kinds of suffering for us, who faced rejection, who faced the anger of the people, and yet who chose the way of love. Lord, help us to receive your love, to receive your forgiveness, and to live as those who want to forgive as we have been forgiven, who want to love as we have been loved. And so we pray that you would work in our lives and help us to be more like Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.